Old Testament reading is from Exodus 13, and it outlines the process of redeeming your firstborn son at the temple, which is what the gospel reading is going to be about. Today is the day where we remember uh, Jesus uh, being taken to the temple. So this is from Exodus 13. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrificed to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb. But all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. The epistle reading is from Colossians 3, and this is the sermon text for this morning too. Paul says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. We just read that. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed And the sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. 
And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, so uh, the sermon text is the epistle reading from Colossians chapter 3. And there's three kind of big parts in this uh, reading here. Colossians 3 comes hard on, uh, Colossians 3, 12 through 17 follows up real hard on uh, this section where Paul says, who you are in Jesus Christ, your fundamental identity is resurrected with Jesus. You've been raised with Christ, so seek the things from above. And then he says, don't put away this stuff. And there's this big, long vice list of different things that he wants you to put away. Uh, Greed, uh, lust, lying, things like that. And then comes our section. Instead of that, put on verse 12, etc. Like I said, there's three big sections here. The first, put on then um, compassion, kindness, humility, etc. The second one starts in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And the next one is in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I kind of want to focus on the third one this morning, but let's, let's work ourselves slowly up to that by going over the first two uh, as quickly as we can. So look at verse 12, put on then as God's chosen, one, chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, etc. That's a little bit uh, clunky there. Uh, put, put on then, right after that, is, this, is, this next line is what he's calling you. God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And then he starts this list of things that he wants us to put on. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So um, what, what, what does this mean to put on these things when it's not possible to put on these things? So what he, he's the only one to put on. And that highlights the impossibility of being able to be compassionate or kind, right? He says, uh, he doesn't say be kind, be compassionate. That would imply perhaps that there's something inside of you, there's a little reservoir of compassionate or kindness, compassion or kindness or patience inside of you, and you just need to be told, like, do this. Instead, he says, put it on. Like, putting it on has carries with the, the, the image of it's something outside of you, right? It's something that's not in you that you need to grab and put on you. Well, this is, this is what he means, is that you can't be kind and compassionate on your own. You need help from outside. What is that outside? Well, the outside, this is a little bit subtle, but the outside is in the title here that he calls us. He calls us chosen ones, holy and beloved. And if you've been read, reading along in the Bible up to this point, uh, you should ask yourself the question, who, who, is the, who are the chosen ones? Who are the holy ones? Who are the beloved ones? And the answer that you'll get if you ask yourself that reading the Gospels is, this is Jesus, Right? Jesus is the chosen one. Jesus is the holy one. Jesus is the beloved one. First Peter 2 says this about Jesus. You've come to Jesus, and it calls him a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Jesus is the chosen one. Jesus is the, Jesus is the one that God appointed to be his Messiah by raising him from the dead. Jesus is also the holy one. In John chapter 6, 
Jesus has this discussion with his disciples uh, where it ends up with Peter saying, where can we go away from, there's no place to go away from you. We have become convinced and know, he says, that you are the Christ, the Holy One of God. And then uh, who's the beloved one? This is an easy one, right? At Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3 and in other spots. God the Father himself says from heaven, this is my, you are my beloved one. So when, when he says, when, when Paul calls up me and you, chosen ones, holy ones, beloved ones, you should see that in light of the capital C, chosen one, the capital H, holy one, the capital L, loved one. In Jesus Christ, you and I are chosen, holy, and loved by God, only in Jesus Christ. So when he says, put on, and then he says, let me remind you again, from a few verses before, you are in Jesus Christ now. You've been raised with him. So when he says, put on compassion, etc., he's saying it's outside of you. It's actually in Jesus. You can only have this on you if you're wearing Jesus. By putting on uh, Christ, you become more compassionate. You become more uh, kind and humble and meek and patient. And so he says, now that this is who you are, you are in Christ the compassionate ones, the kind ones, the, the, the humble ones. Very practical, verse 12. What do you do with that? I'm sorry, verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. What do you do with that the compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience? You forgive each other. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because we talked about forgiveness just recently, except to point out that Paul says here two times, you have to forgive each other. He could have just said, right, he could have just said, verse 13, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. He repeats it again, so you also must forgive. He says it two times, he makes a sandwich out of it, and the meat of the sandwich is, as the Lord has forgiven you. Calling us back to the fact that who we are in Jesus Christ is the grounds for our ethics. The fact that we can be patient, kind, and compassionate. The fact that we can forgive each other only happens because you and I have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. And if we have been forgiven in Jesus Christ, it will flow out of us. I, I, I know talking to you guys that, that you have been to churches before or even this church here where it's hard to walk into the church and worship because there are people in there with whom you have grievances or differences or arguments or whatever. This is not... So we, we can do this, right? I mean, we can manage this because we can shut ourselves off from being the body of Christ to do a sort of a Christian, let's, we'll come in and we'll worship and uh, we'll, we'll get out of here and we'll, we'll, we'll have put in our hour and we'll be fine. We can do that. But if we're actually going to be the body of Christ, if we are going to put on Jesus, all of us together, then forgiveness is not an option. Like coming into church and saying, I can, I can worship, but I, there's like two or three people I just can't talk to. Uh, this is not an option. We can't do this. Okay, moving on from this, because like I said, we talked about this recently. Verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Okay, so what does he mean, above all these, put on love? Above all of these means, go back to verse 12, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Above all of these, here's what he means, this, this is a metaphor. It is, it's not super clear right here in the verse. It's a metaphor, though. Outside of these, you're putting on these, you're putting on Jesus, and when you put on Jesus, those of you who believe in Jesus, when you put on Christ, you've put on kindness and compassion and patience and humbleness. Now, on the outside of that garment, 
put love. Because, he says, uh, love binds everything together in perfect harmony. The image there, actually the word bind, the, the image there is of a belt. So love is the belt that you put around, which binds the humility and the kindness and the patience together. Without love for each other, without the love of Jesus Christ, which flows through us to each other, the rest of it's just a sham, right? The rest of it is just legalism. The rest of it is just play acting. We can all be kind. We can be nice and, and, and you know, hey, how are you doing? Pretty cold today outside, isn't it? Without love, without this like sort of genuine, the self-sacrifice of Jesus in our hearts, working out as self-sacrifice for each other, the rest of it's not going to come together. So Paul says, you put on love, and it's the belt that holds all of these things together. Okay, that's the first section. Let's go to verse 15. Here's the second one. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's a passive too. So the first command is um, an active, but it's a command to take something outside of yourself and put it on yourself. In other words, you need grace. You need Jesus to actually cover you up to be a real, genuine, authentic human being. This one is a passive this let means it's the peace of Christ. It comes from outside of you. You can't pull it down to yourself. We're just saying that, 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 that hymn where in the second verse we said, this is what the incarnation is about, right? We need you to come down here to us. We can't rise to you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The peace of Christ. If you're living in Paul's day and you get this letter and you read the peace of Christ, I'm going to guess that one of the things that you or the people sitting around you in your home who are reading this letter would think about is the peace of Rome. Pax Romana was a super valuable cultural assumption to Paul's earliest, uh, to, to, to the earliest Jesus, actually to everybody living in the Roman Empire in the first century, who were living under this huge reign, which uh, begins uh, when... Um, Octavius defeats Mark Antony at the Battle of Actium. It's this huge border, hundreds of miles away from where you live inside the empire, probably. And because of this massive border, which is guarded by the best armies in the history of the world, you're able to live completely at peace. And what that means is that you don't spend your days contributing to a wartime economy. Like when you grow crops, it's so that you and your family can eat food, and you can sell it to buy shoes for your kids and things like that. Not so that you can feed an army. You're free to travel. You can go wherever you want in the empire safely, which is not the case in most parts of the world and most parts of history outside of this. Uh, That means that commerce and trade develops. People become wealthy. The Pax Romana is something that uh, the people of the Roman Empire valued highly. And Jesus is saying, as an alternate to that cosmology, as an alternate to that universe, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Christ's peace should rule in your hearts. Now, here's what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean here, you know, that peace where you could just, you know, you go to bed at night and you're like, everything's right with the world. I can sleep well because I can be calm because whatever, God's in control. This is, this is good. If you're in that place in your life, that's good. That's actually not what he means here. He means the peace of Christ in the body. Look what he says. Let the peace of Christ rule in your, plural, hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. So it's not like an internal psychological piece. It's the actual practical piece that he was referring to back above with forgiveness and love and humility and kindness. 
Let the peace of Christ be in charge here. Just like the Pax Romana created an environment where people could safely move and do commerce, let the peace of Christ create an environment here at St. James where we can safely move in and out of each other's lives, sharing life together, sharing forgiveness together, sharing Jesus with each other, sharing our humility with each other, sharing our patience with each other. Let that sort of environment exist here. Again, this can't, you can't create this. You, it comes from outside of you. You were to let it happen. You aren't to force it to happen. You can't make it happen. And be thankful. Thankfulness, of course, is a symptom, right? If you're, if you're truly thankful, it's a recognition that God is good to us, that there's something worth being thankful for. Whatever we have here has been created by God. All right? The peace of Christ actually comes from Christ. Love actually comes from him. Kindness and humility is actually something that we put on. And so we're thankful for it because it's not something that we did on our own. Okay, moving on from that, here's the, here's the main thing I want to focus on. And if you noticed, uh, the hymns that we sang uh, had to do with singing. Uh, even the psalm that we sang, which is actually just the psalm for the first Sunday after Christmas, has to do with singing loud praises to the Lord. If you go back and look at verse 4 of, psalm, of um, the psalm. Verse 16, though, we're going to talk about singing. All right. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Same exact language as in verse 15, right? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So let the word of Christ dwell in you guys richly. Right? What is the word of Christ? The word of Christ in the New Testament can be... Uh, it, it, it's, it's spoken of in, in different ways. It can be actually like the stories about Jesus, the word about Christ, like the Gospels can be the word of Christ. The message that you speak out of your mouth when you talk to each other or to other people about Jesus can be the word of Christ. It's possible that the word of Christ in the New Testament is uh, the Holy Spirit speaking Christ words to you. Look on an individual level. We read about Simeon today in the gospel reading, right? And the Holy Spirit, he'd been studying God's word, and the Holy Spirit had told him that you aren't going to die before you see the redemption of Israel come. It can also just be the word, who is Christ, right? Like John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It can be the word, who is Christ. I don't think that, you, that we have any reason to play those four off against each other, though. It's... It can be any and all of these things. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it be inside of you richly. Like rich. Like money. The Christian church should be a place where the true doctrine of Jesus fills the place up like money in a vault. Or like uh, treasures in a palace. And it should be something that should give us pleasure, like lots of money in our vault or like treasures in our palace. Because I'm going to uh, uh, reference, my, this is for my son here, who's a big Scrooge McDuck fan. Uh, so you guys know about Scrooge McDuck, right? And he has that big vault filled with money. And he goes in there and he swims around in it. It gives him pleasure. This is the way that we should be with God's word. You guys should be soaking yourself in God's word. You should be living it and breathing it and feeding on it. You should be thinking about it like you think about your bank account. If it's full and it makes you happy. If it's not full, 
you should be desperate to get it filled. You should be meditating on it, memorizing it, talking about it with each other, thinking about it while you're driving your car, thinking about it while you lay down to sleep at night, this is Deuteronomy chapter 6, thinking about it when you walk around the house. It should be everywhere. It should fill us up. Because well, there's lots of different reasons. Because it is Jesus. He is the word, right? And by filling ourselves up on his word, we're filling ourselves up on Jesus. But now, here, let me talk to you specifically about what Paul has in mind in this text. You and I should be filling ourselves up on the word of Christ for the express purpose. There's lots of different reasons to do this. But here in this text, the express reason is so that we can be teaching each other the word of Christ. Right? So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. I need you to teach me about Jesus You need me to teach you about Jesus. Why? Because we are the body of Christ. And because Jesus works in his body. I mean, is is it possible that you could just, on your own, lone ranger, living on a desert island with nothing except your copy of the Bible? I don't know if that's a a reasonable scenario. No, Jesus. Absolutely, for sure. But that's not the normal way that God works. God works through his body. This is why Paul is so intent on saying... Put on Jesus so that you can have kindness, humility, and ultimately forgiveness. Put on the love of Christ so that you guys can be at peace with each other. Fill yourselves up on God's word. Not primarily so that you can benefit yourself, but so you can be a benefit to the whole family of God. So that you can be a benefit to St. James Lutheran Church. So that you can teach and admonish each other. There's lots of different ways that you can do this. So we're sort of narrowing down here. So, so let, uh, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That can, that can, for the purpose of a lot of other things, specifically here so that you can teach and admonish each other with the word of Christ. There's a lot of different ways that you can do that. But now even more specifically, how does Paul have in mind that you would teach and admonish with the word of Christ through your music? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, he uses three words here, and it's not super clear that there are completely different categories. Psalms, of course, could be, you know, from the book of Psalms, which the Christian church sang, the, the, the earliest Jesus community, of course, carrying over from the synagogue, would sing the Psalms quite regularly. The Christian church still to this day sings the Psalms. Hymns, spiritual songs. Spiritual songs is probably the broadest category. Songs that aren't secular, but that are about Jesus, it means. We sing these songs. Why do you think we sing these songs? Like, is this just filler? Like, you know, little kids, you kind of entertain them by saying, okay, let's sing a song together. And the little kid, now, you and I are grown-ups. We don't like to sing anymore, which is actually, uh, this is true probably. It's kind of a shame that we don't sing in our culture anymore. People don't grow up. It's sort of understood that when you become junior high, then you stop singing, unless you're forced to by your parents in some sort of youth choir or something like that. This is actually the way a lot of us come to church. We have that in our heads that we don't sing. But now here Paul is saying, no, you're actually required to sing. Why is it? Is it because, is Paul because like, well, probably going to be a long sermon. Let's give them a chance to stand up and do something themselves. No, it's actually for the purpose of teaching and admonishing each other and all the wisdom of Christ because we have filled ourselves up richly. We have let ourselves be filled up richly with the word of Christ. <coughs> Singing grabs both your intellect and your emotions in ways that, like, just reading don't or just listening to a sermon don't. It's the way it's designed to do. And we are to live out our faith holistically, intellectually, and emotionally. 
Singing grabs this. When done in the power of the Holy Spirit, singing grabs this. I was trying to think of an example for this. I remember, this is not a great example. One of the reasons is it's 25 years old. But I was doing college visits when I was in high school, and I went to this one college in North Carolina. And I went and visited it, and we met with like one of the deans, and the dean was saying, you should come to this school. This school is a great school to prepare you for what you want to do. And then we were talking to one of the students at the school who said, I remember this, said the exact same thing. Yeah, you should come to this school. But he was totally emotionally checked out. And I remember thinking, oh, he doesn't really think I should go to this school. Like he said, you should go to this school. But like emotionally, he was like, oh, yeah, you should go to this school. This is a good school. I didn't go to that school because I had no reason. I didn't believe in that school. The guy didn't. I mean, intellectually, he said the English words which indicated he thought I should go to that school. But emotionally, he was saying the opposite, right? I mean, you talk to your, like if you talk to your spouse or your kids or your friends this way. Like, Dad, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. But you can say I love you in a way that doesn't connect. Now, let me tell you something. I, you and I are no different than the good people of the Bible, than the John the Baptist who we read about a couple weeks ago, than uh, uh, the, the, the leader of the synagogue who said to Jesus, I believe, like, help my unbelief. Like, I, I walk into this building so many times thinking, I hope this works today. Like, I, I hope that Jesus shows up today. In my worst moments, there are times when I think, I wonder if this is all true. Like you wonder this is all true. When I come into this room, I need you guys to teach me the gospel. I need you guys to show me one more time that this is on board and that Jesus loves us and that he is for us and that he rose from the dead to give us new life. And if I walk in here and we're all singing like, yeah, you should come to this college. It totally sends the message that I shouldn't come to this college. This is why Paul says, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are the way that you and I teach each other about Jesus. It is your opportunity to instruct me that God is faithful. It's your opportunity to instruct people who walk into the sanctuary who don't know Jesus yet that this is, this is legit. We actually mean this. This doesn't, this means something to me. This turns me on. This makes sense up here. It actually, I'm going to roll around in this stuff like Scrooge McDuck and his pile of money. That's what you're going to do this morning. And when we sing to each other, this is what we teach each other. When we put on, when we put on Jesus Christ, we teach each other humility and patience and love. When we let the peace of Christ dwell in us, we teach each other forgiveness. And we let the word of Christ dwell in us and pour out of us in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We teach each other in ways that are more profound than just intellectual. We teach each other the gospel. Amen.